Hi friends, just wanted to say thank you for your patience uh, as we haven't posted a podcast in a couple of months. Uh, we have a seasonal business, um, Dean and I, and so um, that keeps us pretty busy during November and December and, um, and then we try to get back started up in January. So um, thanks for your patience. Hope you enjoy this year. Hope you had a great new year and time with your family over the holidays and uh, the next um message Dean will be teaching today is on forgiveness. Hope you enjoy. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. And uh, I wanted to talk about um, forgiveness and stuff. And you know, I mean, forgiveness is something that's not new. It's not something that we haven't heard or anything like that. But for us as believers, it's something that I think that we, we need to constantly remind ourselves of because, you know, we forget sometimes that forgiveness is a choice, you know, it's something and it's a lifestyle. And, and, um, sometimes, you know, the world that we live in, they're so, uh, it's so harsh and, and bitter and things like that, that sometimes our hearts tend to get a little bitter. And, and sometimes we tend to kind of put a shield around our hearts and, and not be as forgiving as, as God wants us to be. And so, yeah, so I've just been studying a lot about forgiveness and, Honestly, I've been convicted a lot because, you know, even like in our day to day, you know, things, you know, our places where we work and stuff like that. I mean, um, most of our contacts are, are people that aren't Christians for most of us anyway. And and so we kind of I mean, we you know, the circles that we run in, I mean, the people that I work with, they're not people that are quick to forgive. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes, again, if we're not careful, that rubs off on us. It's just like when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and uh, he's, and Peter said, well, we're already clean. And he says, well, you're clean, but, you know, basically I still need to wash your feet. And in the same sense that, that sometimes we're, you know, we're clean. We've been washed. We've been born again. We've been saved. And, and Jesus has delivered us from sin. But just living in the world that we live in, because there's sin all around us, sometimes it kind of starts getting on us. And so we need to come back to the mirror of the Word of God and just kind of, you know, renew our minds and just kind of, you know, wash some of the stuff that's kind of clung to us a little bit. And so in Mark chapter 11, verse 13, um, Jesus and the disciples are walking. It says, uh, in verse 12, it says, On the next day when they had left Bethany, Jesus became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves on it, for it was not the season for figs. And he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were, li were listening. Um, go down to verse 20. And this is the next day. So in verse 19... It says, when evening came, they would go out of the city. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up, the one that Jesus had cursed, right? And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. 
Now you've heard this this uh, scripture used a lot of times in conjunction with prayer, and it's true. And Jesus is telling them to believe for great things, and if you believe, that that things will be done for you. And we as believers, we want power, right? Not not power in the sense of being flashy or showy or anything like that, but power in the sense that when we speak to people, it affects their hearts, right? Or when someone that you know is sick and you lay your hands on them and pray for them, we want to see God heal them. Again, not for our glory, but for his glory and for their deliverance and stuff. And so we, we do want power in our lives, again, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God and to deliver people and stuff. And so so we're, Jesus in this context is talking about that power. And then, so he says again in verse 24, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. But look what he says in verse 25. He says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So I, I think that's pretty awesome. He doesn't leave room for anything. He says, forgive if you have anything. So there's no room for getting out of that. If you have anything against anyone. So there is no room, there's no wiggle room here left for us to kind of wiggle out of that and say, well, there's this one thing or these people did this to me or, you know. And the thing is, is every one of us get wronged. Every one of us, uh, we the world that we live in, you cannot. And, and again, that's why the true gospel involves telling people that, you know, not not telling people that, you know, you get saved and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be perfect and you won't have problems anymore. That's not true because you will have problems and a lot of those problems will become because you are saved, because you are a follower of Jesus and things. And so we walking, living in this world that we live in, we will be slighted. We will be uh, looked down on. We will be offended and, and things will happen to us, right? That aren't fair. Sometimes things will happen to us that are fair, like we'll get in trouble for something that we did that's our fault, and we still take offense at it and stuff. But here Jesus leaves, again, no wiggle room for us to wiggle out of it and say, well, this is the excuse or this is the reason why I didn't forgive. He says, if you have anything against anyone, then you are to forgive. So again, in verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that... You see that? So that the so that is connected. He says, so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your your transgressions. Look at verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither with your, will your father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. And I think that's, that's really powerful because, I mean, it's not ambiguous. It's not saying, you know, it's best that you forgive these people. And that's the thing, too. A lot of us are like, you know... If you forgive this person, you're really freeing yourself. And that's true, right? So, but a lot of times our motives in telling people to forgive other people is is almost in some ways kind of selfish. Well, you need to forgive that person because if you're not, you're held in bondage under that. And that's true, right? But God says, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. And that's the thing is we as believers, if we want God to forgive us, we have to be a people who forgive. Um, in John thirteen thirty five, he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So again, and, and the thing is, is the world looks at the church and they say, and they say that the church is a bunch of hypocrites, right? And 
you know, all the time churches are splitting and churches are fighting and denominations are fighting. And it's like, well, we got the truth and, you know, we're the only ones with the truth and you guys don't have the truth. And, and people are upset and people are fighting over uh, over stuff. And, you know, I've told the story before about like when I when I was a new Christian, the church that I went to went through a church split and there were people, new Christians that were going to that church that were really they seemed to love the Lord and were really they were seeking and they were hungry for God but because they were hurt because they were on one faction or the other because they were hurt they stopped following God and and a lot of them to this day are still not following the Lord and that's the thing you know the the world is supposed to look that's what Jesus said they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another and the world looks at the church and sees all the divisions and and they use these excuses to say well you know um, that's why I'm not a christian right and 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 the thing is is it it gives a terrible testimony it is not testi- testifying of who Jesus is when we don't love each other and when we're fighting amongst each other and when we're unforgiving and we refuse to let go of offenses and stuff because what we're we're acting just like the world right and stuff and so and and we're not following Jesus example he says greater love has this that uh, that no man that a man lay down his life for his brothers and stuff and so that's you know that's the problem with we in the church is sometimes we talk a better christianity than we live right and and we do good works we do good deeds we go out and help people we do bake sales and stuff for for missions trips and and we take up offerings and and we so we and we we go paint people's houses and all those things are good but sometimes when you boil it down to its very thing it's how do we love one another and is our love true? Is our love sincere? Or is our love just talk? And the way that it is demonstrated is not by the things we do. It says in First Corinthians, you can do all these things. If I, if I give my body to be burned, if I, if I do all these things and have not love, then I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that's the way a lot of us are a lot of times. And that's the way I, I, we've all been guilty of it, right? We've all had times of unforgiveness. We've all been we've been hurt by this brother, or we've been hurt by this person, or we were hurt by the pastor, or we were hurt by this situation. And so it's like I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to associate with those people. I'm not going to, you know what? And and the thing is, and it's like it's bringing out these things. And the thing is that we don't often see is that a lot of times these are opportunities for us to grow, right? And it's just like that old statement: you can get uh, bitter or you can get better. And so, and so God allows oftentimes for these things to happen to us in order to teach us and in order to mature us. Because, uh, you know, honestly, I think that that's where, again, that's where the true maturity comes in. When, when you can be done wrong by somebody and yet still forgive them. When somebody can hate you, but you don't hate them back. And it is, it is difficult. It is hard. Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be treated terribly. You know, we all want to be respected by our peers. When we go to work, we don't want our bosses treating us like, you know, like idiots. We don't like our, our fellow workmates treating us like, you know, we're stupid or we don't know what we're doing. We want to be respected, right? I mean, it's just a natural human thing. But the thing is, is when we come to Jesus, he says, okay, you know what? Some of these natural human things that you've held on to for so long, it's time for you to let those go. 
because now we're coming into something that's supernatural. We're come, we've lived in the world, we've lived fleshly, we've lived like the world lives. Now we're coming into something that's supernatural that we cannot do without the Spirit of God. And that's why we need the Spirit of God living in our lives because we cannot walk this walk on our own. This is a supernatural walk and it takes supernatural power. And so that's why we, in these moments when we're being faced by these situations, we need to pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit right now in this moment so that I can forgive this person. Because if we try to do it in our own strength, what we do is we put a smile on the outside, but in our hearts, we're still you know we still have enmity against him right and stuff and that's the thing god does and that's the problem with us as believers so many times we have the mask on right you know uh, people ask us how we're doing we're, and we smile and like oh praise god well i'm just doing great you know and stuff like that and your world may be falling apart and it's pride right because we and and that's an god wants to bring us to a point where we're where we're transparent Right. Where we can show who we truly, truly are. And that's what, you know, that these are the things that the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a place where we can truly relate with one another, where we can truly share ourselves with one another and not be afraid. Right. Where we can be vulnerable with one another and we can tell each other, this is what I'm dealing with and be honest because every single one of us have weaknesses. Every single one of us have areas in which we are not strong. But the problem with us as believers is we put on this mask and we try to pretend to be something that we're not. And God wants us again to bring us to that place of vulnerability where we are who we are. Right? Warts and all. This is who I am. Um, so, and again, that's how the world is going to see Jesus in us, right? People want to see Jesus with skin on. People people are like, well, you know, if Jesus came and was in front of me right now, then maybe I would believe in him. Well, honestly, that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be so much like Jesus that when people see us, they're like, oh, I can see what you're talking about, right? Or when people see our lives, they say, man, there is something different about this person. And they may not want to be like us. But at least they know that there is a true difference and that we are truly what we say we are and not what we, uh, you know, not just this, um, this image or whatever and stuff. Um, and, and the thing is, is, is friendships are forged in trials. In Proverbs 27, it says, um, it says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another one. And, you know, that can't happen if we're easily offended, Right. And and this is a problem in churches and it happens every day as one brother or one sister gets offended with another brother or another sister and we're like, well, I'm not going back there anymore or I'm not, not I'm not going to talk to this person. Right. And stuff. And what we do is we pull away from a situation that could strengthen you. We pull away from a situation that could 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 mature you and sharpen you. And the thing is, is nobody likes the sharpening process. The sharpening process is you are put on a on a grinding stone and it's cutting away parts. And it, it is and it's it's painful and it's hot and it's not comfortable. And and we as American Christians, we want to be comfortable. 
We don't like anything coming in and messing up our, our comfortable lives. Well, this is my comfortable life. I go to my job. I come home from work. I watch television. I go. I get up the next day. And you know what I'm saying? We like our order. We like our structure. And we like our churches to be the same way. We want our sermons to be exactly 35 minutes long. We want the worships to be four songs and stuff. And we want the carpet to be red. And if it's not red, we'll go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And that's there's all these things. Or if I don't like how the pastors did it this week, you know, we're going to go somewhere else and stuff. And so there are all of these things that God is trying to sharpen us. And instead of allowing him to sharpen us, we're like, no, I'm not going to have any part of that. I'm going to pull back. And even brothers and sisters, sometimes we get upset with each other or we get, or we take offense at something that maybe somebody said or whatever. And, and honestly, for the most part, a lot of us are too sensitive, right? A lot of us, and, and you know, we've been Christian since like 85 and stuff. And, and you know, we... And, and again, we've done the same thing, but a lot of times people are just too sensitive. You might say the wrong thing or you might not say the, the right thing or, or you might not do some little thing. And, and someone takes offense against that and, and you're like, whatever happened to that person? And it's like, I haven't seen that person in, in like weeks now. And, and you don't know what happened to them. And then you try to call them and they're like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. It's all right. You know, I just... You know, I've been busy or whatever, you know? And the thing is, is instead of addressing the issues, we pull back and we hide and we self-protect instead of going to that place where the iron is sharpening iron. If you got a problem, let's get it out. Let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. And, and I can't tell you how many times we've seen situations where people will not talk. And the thing, you know, it's like you, you know that there's a problem. You know that there's an issue and you're like, what's the problem? What's the deal? What, what, how can we deal this? And they're like, I don't want to talk about it, right? You made me mad. You, you shouldn't have made me mad. And, and, and so I don't want to talk about it anymore. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is, is this is not what God wants. God wants us to be able to lay down our offenses and be able to talk about it. Look, man, you offended me by what you said or what you said was not true or, or whatever it is, right? And so we have to come to a place where we can talk to one another, where we can be real with one another and not, because that's what the world does, right? It's like, in like husbands and wives, you know, I'm telling you, the worst thing in the world is when you're, uh, you're married and you're fighting and your wife is on one side of the bed and you're on the other side of the bed, but you can feel that thing that's in the middle of it. And it, and it's, you know, it's real and it's, it's, you know, and, and the thing, unforgiveness is, is, it just tears you apart and stuff. And that's what happens in the church all the time is that people aren't willing to deal with the difficulties and deal with the hard things of saying, let's hash this out. Let's deal with it. Let's get it over with and, and let's go on together. Now, I'm not, you know, even like say churches and stuff, I don't know what church God has called you to or what fellowship or whatever, but if God has called you to be with people, if, if God has truly called you that, then then we need to be people who learn to deal with each other, who learn. And again, every single one of us have faults. Every single one of us have things that immaturities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're human beings. Human beings are hard to live with. 
And uh, it's it's just like when we when we did our mission trip and and we went to El Salvador and and now we're living in a house with like four or five different couples that and we we've never we don't know these people from Adam and everybody's got their own little peculiarities everyone's got their idiosyncrasies you know she she likes to get up at five o'clock in the morning and sing at the top of her voice or whatever or there's this person who has to clean every 10 minutes or there's this person that's never cleaned once and you know or this person doesn't want to help in anything and and so when you are bound and that's the thing about family right when you are a family you don't have a choice when you are a family, you are part of that unit. So as a part of that unit, you can't get out of it. So you have to make it work. And that's why when you're when you were kids with your brother or sister or whatever, you learned how to deal with situations. But we as adults, we forget that because we, again, we live, you know, 20 miles from each other or whatever. We see each other once a week or you know, once a month or whatever. And so it's difficult to really become a part of each other's lives, right? And so the thing is, is, is that we have to learn to be intentional and it starts with forgiving in the difficult parts because I promise you, we are going to offend each other. There's no way around it. It's going to happen. Another thing that we tend to do as Christians is take on someone else's offense. So we're not even offended by the oh, other yeah. person. We're taking someone else's. The, someone else is offended by them, so now we're offended, and that that's start, that's part of the reason that gossip is dangerous, is because now you're taking on someone else's offense, and you don't even know the other person's side of the story. Yeah, and that's true, and that is why gossip and and things like that are bad. And again, that's what we do as believers. Instead of going to the source, what we do is we start talking to each other about what's going on and. Hey, did you did you hear what that person said or whatever? And it becomes this thing where like, okay, maybe the person did say it, but their context was different than what is being portrayed. Or maybe they didn't say what this person is saying. You know, it's like the game where you whisper, where you've got like a room full of people and you have the phrase that you whisper into someone's ear and they whisper it into the next person's ear and it goes around the room. By the time it gets to the end, it's completely different from the way it started out. And that's exactly how gossip is and stuff. And But that, you know, that's what we as believers do. A lot of times we, uh, in, instead of going to the source, instead of going to that person and saying, this is what I heard. Is this true? And letting that person explain themselves or explain the situation. A lot of times, again, what happens, that person takes the word that may be secondhand or maybe thirdhand and stuff and say, oh, well, then I'm not going to be that person's friend. Right. And so they don't even go know to the, go to the source or they don't even find out what truly happens. And again, this happens all the time. And uh, it's to, important with with gossip when you hear something that it needs to go back up the chains. Like you shouldn't be telling me this. You should be telling whoever told you this that they need to address it with the person rather than speaking it to somebody else. Because yeah. sometimes the first person had a prayer request or wanted counseling, supposedly, but then that counselor person that gave them advice or the prayer request sends it on and sends it on and sends it on. It's like, no, the first counselor needs to go back to the person. It needs to go back up the line and say, you go to the person and you deal with this if you have an issue 
or the counselor needs to be telling them how to deal with the person, you know, how to have that conversation rather than just having it just keep going and going yeah. and going. And that's what we don't do. We'll get a juicy piece of information and mull it over and somebody else gets it and mulls it over and then you have people making judgment calls on things they have no clue about because they mm -hmm. don't even have a hundredth of the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. how can you make a judgment call on a hundredth of the story yeah. the mm -hmm. way that it was presented? So mm -hmm. <laughs> there's so much more layers. And, and that's the thing. What we do is we take on the uh, the emotions of the person that told us. Mm -hmm. It was offended. And, and so... That's you know, we don't take on the facts, we take on the emotions. And so, and what happens is like that arouses our emotions. So now we're emotionally uh, invested into it. It's, and again, we're not, we're not uh, intellectually invested into it. We, we haven't studied it. We haven't thought it out. We haven't worked it out in our Talk minds. Right it's just like now our, now our, you know, the hair on the back of your neck is standing up and now you're ready to fight and you don't even know what you're fighting about. You know, and a lot of times it's because my friend told me this and I love my friend. And so I'm going to be on my friend's side. Well, your friend could still be wrong, you know, and that again, that's the problem that we as believers do is, again, these things that God wants to deal with. Um, turn to Exodus 21. Because part of the problem, too, is this American, uh, you know, we as Americans, we are strong on justice, right? We believe in justice and that's a good thing, right? We believe that people that, you know, commit crimes should be punished and, you know, and things like that. And so, you know, that's not a bad thing. But in Exodus 21, verse 12, these were rules that Moses was giving the people of God when they were coming out of uh, uh, Egypt. In verse 12, it says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place in which you may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor, in other words, he premeditates it, so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar so that he may die. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. He who, for teenagers, he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. If men have a quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only pay for his loss of time and he shall take care of him until he is completely healed, which is really cool about the Good Samaritan. Because here in, in the, the law, it's like if you hurt this person, then you are to take care of him until he's healed. But the Good Samaritan comes along and he sees the guy that's bleeding on the wayside, had nothing to do with it, but he takes him to the inn and says, you know, and pays for him to be taken care of and said, if you need anything more, I will pay that too when I come back. So that's just an awesome thing. Verse 20, look at this uh, concerning slavery. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he will surely be fined as a woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. 
But if there's further injury, injury, then you will appoint a penalty life for life. Look at this. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And so in the in the old covenant, they're like, whatever someone does, then that's the punishment that should, that should be extracted. And basically, our legal system in America is based in a lot of ways off the Old Testament and stuff and and in a society you do have to have order you have to have rules you have to have uh punishment for people that break break uh break the rules and stuff again the, like the word says the law is not made for law abiders it's made for the offenders and stuff so there has to be rules in a society to be governed by but um turn to Matthew chapter 5 and you know and we watch these movies like you know uh like my favorite movie of all time is Braveheart. And, you know, we watch these, all these movies about, you know, how someone's offended or someone's wife is kidnapped and the guy goes out and he gets a gun and he chases down the offenders and rescues his wife and, you know, all, all these things and stuff. And so this is actually kind of a part of our culture. And we are ingrained with this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If this guy does this against me, then I'm going to do this against him, right? And uh, again, this is ingrained in our American way of life, you know, watching John Wayne movies and, and things like that. It's like, you know, whatever this person does to me, I'm going to do back to them. I'm going to make sure there's justice. I'm going to make sure if they do something wrong, that they pay the penalty for it. And in Matthew 5, verse uh, 38, Jesus speaking. Now, this is Jesus right after the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, it cannot be done in your flesh. You cannot live like that except through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And so all that whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount is how to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about how to live in a world in a way that the world does not live. Because we're to be different from the world. We're to be called out, to be separate. We're to be a light upon a hill, right? Uh, so in verse um, um, 38, he says, uh, you have, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, his followers. He says, you have heard that it was said. In other words, you were taught this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Look what Jesus says. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Look what he says in verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I was just reading this this afternoon and I'm like going, oh my gosh. Because, you know, again, we all want justice. And when someone does us wrong, what our, 
I know my first inclination is like, no, you're not going to get away with that. Right? I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to make sure that you get punished. You know, I'm going to make sure that you, if you do me wrong, I'm going to make sure that you, you get in trouble for it or you pay for that. And that is our human nature. And I read this and I'm like going, Lord, how can I live like this? How can, how, and, and he says, and he winds it up and says, Look, therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, he's saying there's no wiggle room out of this. This is how you have been called to live as believers. And I look at us in the church and I say that that is not how we are living. Again, denominations fighting against denominations, Christians fighting against Christians. You speak in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. You prophesy. I don't prophesy. Women, I don't believe in women, you know, and all these things that we fight over and that like I'm right, you're wrong and stuff. And and it's like, I can't be a part of you because of, you know what I'm saying? It's like pray for justice in my lawsuit. It's like, why are you suing? (laughs) Yeah. You know, we just... Yeah. And, and again, we, we as believers, you, you know, if someone does us wrong, I mean, we want to make sure that they, and again, I don't, I don't know how to live like this. I don't know. I don't know. Lord, how, how can you forgive someone that does you wrong and stuff? And, but then you think about, again, countries where people are being persecuted and they're living like that. And I'm like, man, this is Supernatural. And this is what God is calling to us, us to. And we have to begin to, again, lift our minds up and lift our hearts up above what we have always been taught, above what's been ingrained in us, above. Uh, and again, there there has to be a place for justice in an ordered society, because otherwise you've got chaos and you've got anarchy and that can't be right. And so I think and again, I do believe that we as believers have to fight for one another, right? We have to we have to be willing to defend each other and, and protect each other, especially the weak ones and, and things like that. But I do think that there are times when we need to let go of our pride, when we need to let go of our, I've been wrong. And even according to this scripture, even when there's times when we have every right to be upset when we have every right not to forgive. And those times, many times God is saying, you know what? I want you to forgive that person. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there can still be uh, restitution. Maybe, you know, they still go to jail or whatever and stuff like that. But again, we we see stories all the time of, of people who've murdered other people, but their surviving members, you know, forgive them, you know? I mean, I can't imagine if someone were to, like, kill a member of my family, just having to deal with that and to wrestle with that unforgiveness and coming to a point where you can say from your heart, you know what, I forgive you, and Jesus forgives you. And see, when we do that, again, we are not living according to this world. We are stepping in to the supernatural realm where Jesus lives, where 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 the kingdom of heaven is. And when we do that, the veil is lifted and people who don't know God see into the realm of the supernatural and they see the kingdom of God. Um, I think 
think when we don't forgive, it's our way of um, punishing. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and and it basically manifests itself as anger, and oftentimes as complete separation from that person. Um, and when Jesus, God forgave through Jesus, forgave us, it brought reconciliation back to the Father once 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 we were separated from the Father. So there there has to be some it's interesting. I'm just I just think that's interesting that oftentimes that it's unforgiving someone is your your subconscious way of punishing them when the Bible says that God is the one who punishes so we're kind of putting ourselves in the place of God, number one. Hmm. And then number two there is often like a real hardcore, I'm never going to speak to this person or a total avoidance of them every chance you can avoid them when that is separation. And not to say that you have to be the person's best friend, but I think potentially part of forgiveness is being okay with, well, maybe you're going to be around that person some. You know, mm-hmm. like if you have a unforgiveness against one of your parents or something, you might maybe part of the manifestation of truly letting go and forgiving them is that you would go see them once a year. You know, you don't completely ignore them and um, pretend they don't exist. And so I just think that's kind of just interesting. That's just came to me yeah. when we were reading. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that it manifests and stuff. But I, I think what you said is really good is that sometimes by our forgiveness, we think that somehow we're punishing that person. You know, and stuff. And like you say, it is not our job to punish them. Um, Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. And I think this this chapter is just awesome because Jesus covers the whole area. In verse 15, he says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. And again, we've talked about this before. How, how, how little does that actually happen, right? Uh, you know, most of the time we do, we don't go to that person. We go to our friend and tell them about that person, or we go to you know whatever. We don't go to that person. Verse sixteen: If he does not listen to you, take one or two, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So I think this is really awesome because God is saying, okay, like, so there are channels. There are there are ways to deal with people. And again, this is not talking about personal problems. You know, I, I hate the way that this person sings or, you know, this person, you know, has bad body odor or something. You know, it's not talking about personal things, issues, which again, some of those issues we divide over that don't mean anything and stuff. But he's talking about sin issues and stuff. And he talks about going like he's not talking about being ostriches and burying our head in the sand and pretending that things don't exist because they do exist. But he tells us how to deal with those things. He says, you know, if you got a problem with someone, go in private and talk to them about it. If they won't listen, if they listen to you, that's awesome. You've won your brother. If they don't listen to you, take, take some witnesses then, right? 
If they still refuse to listen to you, then take it to the church. And if they won't listen to the church, okay, then you have every right to cut them off. Now, still, even in this situation, God will require that we forgive that person from our heart. Now, and that's the thing. That's what's awesome about God is he doesn't expect us to be friends or to be, you know, to pretend to be buddy buddies with people like that. You know, he says like, okay, if you've gone through the channels, you don't have to be their friends. You don't have to, you don't have to be in association with you. You can, you can cut them off and stuff. But from our hearts, we have to forgive them, right? Because in every situation, God expects us to forgive, right? But there's a and, long process of that. Well, no, he says you do. You treat them as a Gentile. He and says a tax you t- let them be oh. to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Yeah, but it's interesting. To listen to right. The church. No. But it's so interesting, and again, he's like you have to go through quite a bit before you're you're allowed that freedom. You know, you have to. There has to be a lot of there's a lot of accountability yeah. in there. There's a lot of trying to work right. it out. You and, know, and the thing is, is too quickly just cut each other right. off. And, and you can have to bring them back pretty quickly too if they yeah, can. just like Second Corinthians. Really quick to bring exactly. Them. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. And it's like we're not going by the letter of the law. And, you know, this whole time we're like just hoping they don't do the right thing so I can cut them off. Right. Again, it's so that they can be restored. And your heart is for them. Your heart is that they repent. And we're praying for them the whole time. And we're praying that their eyes could be open. And we're and we honestly, sincerely desire that they their eyes be open and that they come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 19, again, I say to you that if uh, and so many people use this as prayer, but look what it's saying in the context. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it will be done for them by my father who is in heaven. That's kind of like where Paul said, like, I have delivered this person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And again, we in the church, we don't believe that we have power, Right. And stuff, and God's saying, if two of you agree in this matter, it will be done in heaven. Verse uh, verse twenty: For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And again, he's speaking in the direct concept context of church discipline. So uh, he doesn't end there. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, according to the Old Testament and Amos and other places like that, three times is what they expected in the Old Testament, according to the Old Covenant, three times. So when Peter says, man, should I forgive him seven times? Peter's thinking, I'm doing pretty good here, right? Yeah. And and it says, uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, uh, when they said that, turn to uh, Genesis chapter four. When they said that, um, this would have jumped into their minds. In Genesis chapter 4, after Cain killed his brother Abel, and in verse uh, verse uh, 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me from this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Um, Look at... Uh, so so Cain kills his brother and he says, Lord, so people are going to kill me. And God says, whoever kills them, you know, vengeance will be taken on them. Look at verse 23. Now, here he starts talking about Cain's descendants and things like that. And the, and the people that, you know, his, his grandchildren and his great grandchildren and stuff. And then Lamech, who is one of his grandchildren and stuff, said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. Look what he says. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Do you see that? And so, again, where the old covenant was like an eye for an eye, and, you know, whoever, whoever, uh, whoever attacks me will be punished 70 times, seven times. Jesus flips all that around. And he says, you've heard it told, an eye for an eye and stuff, but I tell you to forgive. And he says, you know, and when, when Peter's saying, how many times must I forgive? Seven times. And he, say, and he goes back directly to this Lamech thing when he says, you know, because if, I, if someone attacks me, they're going to be avenged 70 times seven. And Jesus says, no, you got to forgive 70 times seven. Do you see that? And so Jesus is flipping the Old Testament on its ear. Because again, the Old Testament was first natural, and they were natural examples of the spiritual realities in the New Testament. And so all these things that the people are pulling into the New Testament from the Old Testament, and they got this Old Testament mindset of an eye for an eye, and you only forgive this many times. Jesus says, nope, it's not going to be that way. In the kingdom of heaven, it's completely different. You forgive from the heart and you forgive 70 times 7 and, and it's not an eye for an eye for anymore. It's you forgive that person. And look what he continues to say. Um, he says, for this reason, he says, Jesus said, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I was reading some commentaries and some people were saying this was like $4 billion. It was a massive amount of money. It was huge. He says, um, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So that slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now again, these disciples are just like we are. They live in a world where you have to have money to live, right? And so, and so they know that this is huge. This is a massive amount of debt. This is more money than any one of us will ever experience in our lifetimes. We won't even probably know anybody that's got this kind of money, right? And so this debt's forgiven. It says in verse 28, But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And from what I heard, that's like 4,000 bucks. I don't know. And so, but like, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not even close, right? 
He says, he went out and found his fellow slave that owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But look at this in verse 30. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now think of that. Like, like many times in society, they've had debtors' prisons and stuff. The guy owes him $4,000 or whatever the debt was and stuff. He can't repay him. So the man has him thrown in prison. Now, how in the world is the guy going to pay his debt while he's in prison? He can't pay it while he's out working. He can't pay it while he's got a job and he's, he's trying to do it. So, so again, this is just revenge, right? You throw him in prison and stuff, and it's like, well, he can't pay me, so he's going to be punished for it. This man has a wife and children to take care of. So this man who has been forgiven this massive debt throws somebody in prison for this tiny little debt. It says, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt. Now, again, that's so amazing to me. It's not like he's, he's like, okay, I give you more time to pay the debt. He completely wiped the debt out completely. There's no residual. There's not like, okay, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you uh, 10 more years, but I'm going to put some interest on that. And that's how we do it, right? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'll give you more time, but there's going to be more interest on it and stuff. And you can never pay the debt because you're just paying the interest. And so this guy completely wiped out this massive debt. He says, um, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Do you see that? And that's the thing. Again, we forget so often how much God has forgiven us. Um, you know, some sometimes we talk about our our um, you know our sins, and we and we talk about our testimonies, and we talk about how how wicked and evil we were, and we were. Each one of us deserved hell. Each one of us deserved death before we repented and before Jesus came into our lives. But we forget that. Right. And Jesus is saying, when you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, you have completely forgotten the debt that I forgave you. And that's the thing. If we had a true revelation of how much Jesus has forgiven me, then I don't have a right to be hold unforgiveness against anyone. Right? I don't have a right to be unforgiving of anybody. I, you know, and in James 2 verse 13, it says mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, we want justice. We want judgment. And again, I think that we as a society and being members of our society, we have to have justice in our society. We have to have rules. We have to have laws and we have to have punishments. But I think we personally as believers, when it comes to our personal lives, 
We have to be a people of forgiveness. And if we can't forgive unbelievers, how can we forgive believers? And that's the problem with us because we can't forgive each other. We get caught in these little stupid fights that don't mean anything that that are ridiculous. And we hold things against each other and churches split and people leave and, and people fight and people bicker over things that make no sense. And, and we've forgotten how much Jesus has forgiven us. And remember, I mean, Jesus gave us the example to follow, right? What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, right? When Stephen was being stoned, did he say, Lord, come wipe them out? No, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so, you know, God is wanting us to be a people who exemplify forgiveness, and so we have to constantly remind ourselves of how much he's forgiven me because I did not deserve to be forgiven. Before I came to Jesus, I was a willful sinner and I hurt people and I did things that I knew was wrong. And even after we get saved. Yeah, and saved. even after we so get saved, we still do a lot of that stuff. I think sometimes we expect too much of each other in the church that, oh, well, you're a Christian, you shouldn't act that way. Well, I know when I was a, I, I've done a lot of things as a Christian that I shouldn't do, so why would I expect my sister or brother in Christ to be perfect if I can't be perfect myself, you know? No. Like, and I think because we're saved, we think, oh, well, you're a Christian, so you shouldn't act that way. No. Stuff. But, but we all act that way. Now, not to justify acting that way. No. We need to change, but, but, but we have to realize that we are guilty of the same. Right. And there is a tension between um, trying, you know, going to maturity and things like that. And, you know, even the Bible in the, in the New Testament and stuff, Paul got angry and things at believers and stuff. And, you know, and, and so there, there, there is, you know, at some points, you know, it's like he would talk to believers. It's like, you know, after this long of being a believer, you should be teachers by now. And stuff, and so there is a place in our maturity where we should be going beyond stuff. And but even like Paul, when uh, when Paul first started his missionary journeys, and he was going with uh, John Mark, and John Mark left him, uh, Paul and Barnabas got in a, or Paul and yeah, Barnabas got into a big fight over that because Paul didn't want to go with John anymore, right? And so they got in a fight over that, and Paul and uh, Paul and uh, Silas went one way, and Barnabas and, and John Mark went the other way. But at the end of his life, Paul said, uh, when Paul was in prison, he's telling him to do all these things for him, and he says, bring John Mark with you, because he's valuable to me. So <laughs> even Paul, who is, you know, this crazy wild man and stuff, he, you know, he found this place for forgiveness. And that's the whole thing. Again, we will rub up against each other. There will be sparks and iron will sharpen iron. And there will be times when we have disagreements. Sometimes there'll be sharp disagreements, but that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, get over it. Don't be so afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like okay. Sometimes you might have to get down on the ground and wrestle, and you know, and and, and you know, I mean, uh, again, like with family, with me and my brother, sometimes we got into fist fights, you know, because and but afterwards, you know, we'd be we'd be all tight and all close again and stuff, and and sometimes you will fight with people that you are close with and stuff, and. 
That's not the important thing. The important thing is, are you willing to get over it? Are you willing to let those offenses go and, and go on Amen. and go forward, right? Because that's what we're doing. We're going forward. We're marching to Zion. We're going forward. We're going on from glory to glory and, and, and we're, we're every more, ever more being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We are advancing in the earth. The gates of heaven, hell will not prevail. You know, and we are going forth. We are the army of the Lord and we can only go forth as we're willing to let those things fall behind. As long as we're holding on to those things, we are not going forward. Amen. So I just want to look at some closing scriptures in First Peter 3 verse 7. This is talking about husbands and wives, but he's just talking about relationships. He says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Again, we talked about earlier that we all want power with God. I mean, honestly, you know, so many times our prayers, we pray and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, nothing happens, right? A lot of times could it be that there's unforgiveness in our hearts or that we're not treating a certain person right because those things will hinder our relationship with the lord so you know and again that's why when we're taking communion he says to uh, to examine yourself because those things bring hindrances and stuff and so if we want power with god if we want to pray and see god do things if we want to lay hands on people and see god do things our hearts have to be pure from all this stuff, right? Keep reading. In verse 8, he says, To sum up, all of, you, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You see that? So that's the way we are to be as a church. We are to be kind-hearted with one another. We're to be sympathetic. We're to be understanding. We're not to be sharp with each other. We're not to be demanding with each other. We're not to like, oh, you know, first time someone, you know, does some little wrong thing and stuff, we just cut them off and stuff. We're supposed to be understanding, right? Turn to another place in Ephesians chapter 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. In my brain, fours and sevens are almost the same color. Really? <laughs> yep. Red. That's because they're like not red. prime numbers? Is that what it is? I, I don't know. I don't know. No. I, I don't know why I see numbers in color. I should not talk about numbers. I don't know. The... Same used to see numbers in color. So I, got I thought it was weird. <laughs> Okay, in Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, he doesn't say let some, let a little bit. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Again, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Again, we saw earlier that 
You know, if you don't forgive other people from your heart, God's not going to forgive you. And that's the thing. God's not calling us to be fake, right? To put on this smile and try to pretend to be something that we're not. You can be kind to somebody without, you know what I'm saying? You can be a kind person without being overly fawning or, you know what I'm saying, fake or anything like that. It just means doing the right thing, right? It means actually caring about somebody. That's all it means. It doesn't mean putting on this fake Christian smile, you know, and trying to act, you know, all fakey, fakey, and, hell, oh, how are you? And it doesn't mean any of that. It just means being real and, 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 and honestly from your heart, wanting to know the person and wanting to do what's best for every person, right? And one last place in Ephesians chapter four, or I mean Colossians chapter three, verse 12. It says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And we always talk about unity. You cannot have unity without forgiveness all right and the problem with the church again is that we there is no unity in the church because we're we're fighting over things that don't matter and stuff and you know what is this psalm 137 it says um behold how good and perfect it is for brothers to dwelling together in unity and it talks about how it's like the anointing oil and stuff like that Again, part of the reason why we as the church have no power and have no anointing is because there's not a true unity. And the true unity comes when we can live with each other in a harmonious way, despite our differences, despite um, whatever little problems we might have, you're able to overlook those and stuff. And when we can do that, then there will be a true unity. And when there is that true unity, God is able to flow through that. And God is able to move and to operate in that place. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> he talked about this enough in the New Testament that it must have been a constant problem that they were bickering and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just normal church life and he had to address it, like, just to encourage, like, and that's what I say. I mean, it's, yeah, it was like the Corinthian church, excuse me, and all the squabbling that they were doing and, you know. And, and it's in several books. Yeah. Like, so it's obviously happening in, in other churches too, like, yeah. as an issue. And so, and that's, you know, and that's why he said, you know, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We are striving to be like God. We are striving for that place a perfection, not that we will be sinlessly perfect ever, but the way that we grow in that perfection is in this realm of forgiving one another and in, and in truly loving each other from our hearts. Fine? Yeah, that's good. I'm convicted. Me too. <laughs> yeah.